Hey friends, welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. We hope you enjoy what you're listening to, and may you find peace and grace in all the words that are before you. of Jesus' birth, that is where we're at right now in the the calendar year, Uh, how it came to be is one that can be a little bit complicated for a lot of us. Like it feels so far removed from regular life for many of us. We think about Mary growing a baby within her that she didn't necessarily participate in the process to make that baby. The Bible states that a virgin who will become pregnant is going to become pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And we wonder, how can this be? As Mary also wondered, how can this be? But God spoke all things into existence. God created the universe and breathed life into something called a human. And God created something out of nothing and called that something very good and named that something Adam. And if God could do that, then God could also once again create something out of nothing with Mary. The Bible is one that shares this story, and it feels insane to us sometimes that something out of nothing was God, was God in flesh, born of a woman and the Holy Spirit. It feels bonkers in a way. It feels like, how is it that 2,000 years later we we are still sharing the same story, and it's because For so many of us, we are still compelled by the same story. And I get it. Like, when I think of that story, my mind does a little bit of flip-flops in my brain, and I'm like, whew, that's a little weird to get a hold of. But this story is God is with us. That is the story, the truth that we are not alone. The reality about how much God cares for us is breathtakingly compelling. This is why we come back to the story time and again, because there's something so resonating within us, within that story, that transcends time and space. So I want you to take a deep breath in, everybody, and breathe out. Okay, now I want you to try it again with your eyes closed and a smile on your face. Breathe in. Breathe out. That breath was a gift from God because of how much God cares for you. You are not alone. You might feel alone sometimes, but you are not alone. And this story might be hard to make sense of sometimes when we think about it, but it is deeply human. I mean, think about it. God in flesh, Jesus Christ, was born into a very complicated and very incredibly difficult time and place. God didn't choose a palace to be born into. He didn't choose the the 1% to be born into. Jesus was born during a time of great political upheaval and, and uncertainty. The Hebrew people were living in a time where there was this heavy taxation that was forced on them by the Roman Empire. And if you didn't meet that need that the Roman Empire was forcing you to then pay out, 
you would either be put into prison or you would be killed. And so a way that people would survive during this time is that they would go and work for the Roman Empire, but at the disappointment of their people for sleeping with the enemy. During this time, poverty was a marker of life. People had to sell their land, land that had been in their families for generations, land that they would stake the claim of God's promise on. God promised this land to them, and they had to sell it in order to survive, in order to feed their families. And once the land was gone, we see recordings of people selling their children and selling themselves into slavery just to survive in this very desperate season. But still, in the midst of it all, we read of God-fearing Jews who would continue to seek God, who would continue to meet together and pray and read the Torah and have sacrifices and burn incense together. And in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of a very unknown future, they still worshipped and followed God because they they knew that God was worthy regardless of their horrible circumstances. Jesus was conceived into poverty where his family had hard times making their bills and paying off their debts like so many of us experience in our own lives. He was born into regular life where marriage, where divorce, where scandal was just part of the story from the very beginning. Jesus was not born with a silver spoon. He was born with a stain, and that stain followed him for a very long time. And I say all this because sometimes when we look at the, at the Christmas story and we, and, we, and we picture the nativity scene on our mantle, what we see is it's kind of elevated towards perfection, towards everything being okay in the world. And we see Mary kneeling chastely beside the manger, and she looks very holy. Oftentimes she has a halo like that picture. She's got a halo. I don't think many mothers in this room when they gave birth necessarily had a halo going on. There's a lot of pain and, and exhaustion. <laughs> No, no. And, and you see Joseph in every nativity scene, he's always standing upright. He always looks very confident and very strong. He looks like he knew exactly what was going to happen, and he like measured it and put it all together, and everything went perfectly, like he would have dreamed it up for himself. <laughs> everything looks right. Even the song we just sang, Silent Night, Holy Night, with the cattle lowing and the baby wakes, but the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. He never even cried in this story. Man, he latched on perfectly. He nursed like a champ. Mary didn't need to wear those hospital pads because she never even bled, you guys. It was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. And Joseph didn't have a care in the world. He didn't have that anxiety rushing through him about how he was going to make ends meet or how they were going to live or where they were going to live. Or maybe now that the baby is born, maybe his family might start talking to him again and he wouldn't carry the guilt and the scandal of a baby being born out of wedlock. Sometimes I wonder about Joseph, that character in, that's often ignored in this story. I wonder if he told his family beforehand that he wasn't the baby's father after finding out that Mary was pregnant, or if maybe his family just assumed that he and Mary did some sort of deadly mistake. I wonder if Joseph, after being told by the angel that of God's role in Mary's condition, if he was still thinking about throwing a big party and a big wedding. 
If you thought about inviting his friends and family to come together to celebrate, even though they had already consummated the marriage, obviously. Did Mary and Joseph get to promise themselves to each other and make a covenant under the hoopah while their people cheered them on, or did they have a quiet ceremony under the judging eyes of their priest? We don't know the details, but we all know what it feels like to be judged by people in authority. So turn to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be in verses 18 to 25. This is a passage of scripture that you all have read like a million times or you've heard it read a million times. And I don't want it to lose the impact of it. So maybe we could come before this passage with a different perspective, fresh eyes. And I want to, I'll ask what, what's coming up from it if um, once we read it, if anything does come up. So let's, we can chat about that. Matthew chapter 1 will be in verses 18 to 25. Yeah. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, He had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. So what's coming up from this reading? Anything anything that you haven't seen before or anything that is so familiar it just brings warm fuzzies to you or anything going on? Yeah, Steve. I never really uh, thought about Mary when the Holy Spirit came and impregnated her. It was probably just a very joyous and peaceful time having God come and minister to your body. Mm. I can't imagine the, the joy and the, just the peace, because the sense of peace is within you. Right. Ministered through the body. That's beautiful. I've never thought of it that way. Wow. Anything else going on? Good thing Joseph didn't have insomnia. <laughs> yes. Has anybody ever experienced dreams like that, where like you feel like the Lord has talked to you or communicated to you through dreams? Yeah, Marta? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anybody else experience anything like that? 
Yeah, Shelby, you have? Yeah. I remember on my third child, I, my, my family all sat around with you know, three names to name our son. Yeah. And no one could agree on anything. And uh, our son's name is Jackson, but just the week before I had this dream, I was chasing I, I was chasing this boy, and he was always running and yelling at him to come back. Yeah. And Jackson, and I woke up in the morning, and I, yeah, that name was not on the list. Wow. Oh, that's so cool. He's always running ahead of me. Really? Yeah, so that's how we ended up the same. Oh, man. That's really cool. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, I just talked to my mom and I keep talking to my mom after she passed and waiting until she passed. And I just remember that she was really deep because we're not going to talk to her. Yeah, what a gift. Yeah, yeah. I had a similar experience to him when my grandmother passed. Yeah. And I've never ducked with her since. Wow. I, I, I really remember vividly feeling her presence. And um, I always think about that. Yeah. And she was really, um, Christmas was her favorite. She loved Jesus. She loved Jesus. Yeah. It's such, a, it's such an act of grace when, when the Lord communicates to us in a place where our heart needs, in that sort of a, of a space. Joseph. But what I what I was getting from this passage is I think of Joseph and he's often the long forgotten character in this passage or even in the Christmas story altogether. Uh, sometimes when I prepare sermons, I listen to other people's sermons and and hear what what other pastors have said about the passages and just get ideas or or allow the the scripture to become even more fluid in my mind. Um, and. Not once did I hear a single person speak on Joseph. I mean, I only listened to not very many this time around, but still it was the passage has to do with Joseph, and yet still it was flipped back to Mary. And Mary's an incredibly important person. We looked at her last week. But I think Joseph is a really important person in the story of Jesus. And I wonder if Joseph knew that in some way he might be the forgotten character of sorts. I wonder if during those moments when Mary was growing Emmanuel, God with us, inside of her womb, and during those months, while that was happening, and she was pondering each moment inside her very marrow and tucking in every kick and hiccup inside of her heart, not to forget that this child was growing stronger every single day. I wonder if those months that she was marveling for Mary were ones that were kind of lonely and maybe a little bit suffering for, for Joseph. I wonder if he wondered where God was in the midst of his own struggles and his own uncertainties. And I hope he is confident or was confident in his obedience. Before the angel disrupted Joseph's plans, he had been pondering something very different, though. Different than what Mary was pondering. He'd been thinking of something else. He had something else going through his mind. So turn with me back to that passage we were just in. Because this is what's been sticking out to me this week. In verse 19 it says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. He had in his mind... To divorce her quietly. Being pledged to be married was basically the same thing as marriage. 
They were married, but because they had not stood under the hoopah yet, they hadn't consummated the marriage, they couldn't live together yet. But in all intents and purposes, they were married. They, they, Joseph's dad and Mary's, mom, Mary's dad had gotten together. They made a pact. They would say, yes, our kids are going to live their lives together in a marriage. So for Mary to be pregnant meant that she cheated on Joseph. They may not have even known each other very well yet. They probably didn't love each other necessarily at this point in their betrothal time. But regardless of how close they were or if they even loved each other, being cheated on destroys a person's sense of self-worth. You begin to compare yourself to the mystery person that you don't even know who they are. You wonder why you didn't measure up or if you failed the person that you were meant to be with somehow. And I'm sure Joseph felt all the emotions of the grief and the anger and the disappointment in a very great way, like so much so that he had to have it in his mind to divorce Mary. He was thinking and he was pondering on how to move on and how to move forward and and how to take the high road. I mean, he had every right to take that pain and that grief that this person had caused him so much to take it out on that person who had caused the pain and grief. But Joseph was a man of character and a man of valor. And instead of dragging Mary through the mud, possibly to the death that she deserved according to the law, Joseph chose to keep quiet. And maybe while he pondered these things, he wondered about this girl that he'd known the past while. I bet he kept thinking about how much it didn't seem like Mary. Like, that doesn't seem like it's Mary's character to to cheat on him, or it doesn't seem like someone she is who would sleep around. He he only knew her as a kind-hearted and tender kind of person who wouldn't want to cause harm to anyone. So he considered the alternative. She was still worthy, and she shouldn't be exposed to public shaming. He obviously still cared deeply for her, even in his own wounding. But after that pain had set in and he, and he sat in the pain and he, and he mauled it over in that grief for a while, after he, after he cried in bitter disappointment at the new direction his future would take without Mary in it, Joseph makes up his mind. He knew what he would do. He was confident in the decision and he knew that his decision was the right one. Because he was a man of character, and a man of character would make a decision that would benefit the other person as much as possible. But it makes me wonder, why would God allow Joseph to have to sit there in that uncertainty and that painful grief for any length of time? When that angel Gabriel showed up to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, and told her what would happen, why wouldn't he just go right over to Joseph and say the same thing again? Why wouldn't he just let Joseph know what was going on? Why didn't the Holy Spirit intervene around that moment that Joseph even found out about Mary's pregnancy? Why allow Joseph to go through that season of uncertainty on what to do and make him come up with his own plan when it wasn't the right plan in the first place. I don't know why the Holy Spirit didn't interrupt Joseph sooner and save him from a little bit of despair. I don't know why the Holy Spirit hasn't done the same for you yet. 
I don't know why it has taken God so long to interrupt your plans and to let you know what has been going on a little bit faster. I don't know why. I used to wonder about why, like, if, if God already had our kids in mind for us, if God already knew about Isaac coming our way and the adoption would happen, <laughs> then why was that loss of our first adoption, why did that have to happen? If God already had a plan in mind for us, why would we have to experience that, that bringing a child into our home, believing this would be our very first child, like we are finally mom and dad, we're going to experience what our hearts have longed for for so long. Why would we have that child in our home only to be removed and then have other like 13 other failed adoptions before Isaac? Why would God allow that to happen if God's plans always included Isaac? if they always include Emily and they always included Antonio? What was the point of waiting? Adoption is based on loss. It's the loss of Jason and I being able to conceive. It's the loss of having any kind of control over how you build your family or how you move into like making a family. It's the loss of a birth family with their child. It's the loss of the child with the birth family. Adoption brings its own kind of trauma around the loss of a child. And that, that can oftentimes stick with them for a very long time. It's ways that we have to navigate through and, and help learn how so many of us in this room have some sort of trauma in our lives that we've experienced that we have to learn how to navigate through, regardless of adoption or regardless of any other things that come our way. There are wounds in our lives that we have to work through and be aware of and allow the Holy Spirit to shed light on so we can move in them and through them and God can still be glorified. But I wonder if God allowed that time of waiting and thinking and pondering what and why and when in our lives, if God allowed us to experience the loss and the grief of losing a child, So empathy could build in our lives over that similar primal wound in our future children's lives. Empathy is a powerful emotional tool that the creator has for humanity. And sometimes I wonder if if part of the reason Jesus was born into the life he lived into a place of poverty and wondering how to make ends meet and and the complications of marriage and divorce and the scandals of his birth. I wonder if he felt the rejection he felt from his friends and knew the deep sadness of the death of somebody he loved so deeply and experienced temptation and was physically tortured and was killed. I wonder if it was partly because God wanted to know what it was like. That the holy and glorious God who spoke all things into existence, understands your pain because God felt your pain in the most intimate and the most human of ways. And maybe God allowed some space in between Joseph finding out about Mary 
and his mauling over what he would do and how her affair would affect his life in the years to come and how to best distance himself from her and wondering what other people would think and crying himself to sleep over her unfaithfulness and then finding himself wanting good things for her still, finding love for her in his heart, hoping she would have what she needed in the future. So he decided the best route that he knew possible for a woman like Mary. He racked his brain. He pondered it. He mulled it over. It was in his mind to figure out what would make life better for her, not necessarily easier for him. And after he grieved and processed, and his heart shifted from bitterness to compassion, the Holy Spirit interrupted his really good and kind plans for something better that he wouldn't have imagined for himself. His heart was ready to accept the truth of what was happening in a way that would have not been ready for before. And God's timing for Joseph wasn't because God forgot about this key player or because God was really busy and he just couldn't get to Joseph on time. So sorry, Joseph, you're just going to take a time out here until I can get to you. I think it was because Joseph needed to be ready in a way that he wouldn't have been otherwise. Joseph was ready to accept the truth the angel brought him. And he believes the truth with an obvious okay And the text says that he didn't question or say, how can this be? Or do you know how bad this will make me look? Or do you know how my family will respond to this? Or anything. He accepts the truth. He believes the truth. And then he obeys the truth. Obedience is the doing part. He's done the thinking it through and he's ready to do what God has called him to do. He doesn't hesitate He doesn't come up with some sort of sneaky plan to make sure that this huge mistake with Mary and marrying Mary won't be on the forefront of everybody else's minds. He goes to Mary and he tells her that he knows. He knows very little is what he probably says. I know very little about what God is doing, but somehow God has invited me into the plan and that's enough for me to move forward in. So he and Mary make a promise and they covenant to each other and they move in together as husband and wife until Jesus is born. I think there are so many times that we go through areas of uncertainty and we sit in that uncertainty and we wonder what God is doing in the meantime or why God would allow us to go through that loss. And we've all experienced loss in this room. We've experienced the loss of a job the loss of a marriage and a divorce, the loss of a, of a breakup we've experienced, the loss of people we love through death, the loss of our ability to continue on with an education we really dreamed up for ourselves, the loss of our health, an estrangement, a failed adoption. And I can't always tell you why, but I do know that when God interrupts your life, it's usually at a time when you're more ready than you've ever been. And in those moments, God asks you to believe and to act. There's always a call to action. 
And sometimes the action feels harder than we are ever going to be able to do. It feels harder than we're prepared for. For Joseph, it wasn't simply an announcement or simply getting married and adopting a child. It was trusting in the truth the angel announced him, of, of, of Emmanuel, of God with us, that God was with him. That Joseph wasn't alone in parenting and raising and guiding his son, God's son. That Joseph was the right person, the right that they were the right couple for this very impossible type of a job, but that Joseph wasn't alone. And every moment for the rest of his life, he was invited to believe and then to continue to move to act on this belief. And when he wavered or when he doubted, he could look back to that time that God was shaping his heart and forming his thoughts and building empathy into his life so Joseph could approach the next hardship or difficulty with greater confidence than he had before. Any thoughts so far before we continue on? Yeah, I know. I needed it. (laughs) Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, Stacy. No, I, I agree fully because I feel like God has called me to help others and to build that empathy of like why would he allow me to have such mental health difficulties? And then I think of like who I'm working with, like how would I know how these people are going through? Like how would I know yep. what this is about? And and in in that time it opens you up to God more. Yeah. Why are you making me suffer, God? Why is this happening? And, and you, you think like, well, there's, there's a reason for it. And yeah. It's making me more compassionate because in order to help people and to be more compassionate, you need to understand where they're coming from. Just like you were saying about, um, you know, why, why, did, why was he made poor or why he was uh, that. So he could understand those are the people who needed help. Yeah. Uh, you know, the verse where he said people who, uh, you know, well, people don't need a doctor. Mm. They needed to be there. Right. To understand where those people are instead of, you know, being with the 1% over which yeah. people who, you know, already had it together, he was there to say. So. Yeah, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. Yeah. And it, <coughs> Jesus understood what that, what that felt like. Anything else? Yeah, Steve. You know, the Mayan prophets got more of a background history than uh, Joseph. Yeah. You know, I, I wondered if, well, did he have siblings? Was he the youngest or the middle? Mm. Was he the oldest brother that had more responsibility growing up that could handle life better? I don't know. You yeah. Know, we know that Jesus had uh, a cousin, you know, John the Baptist, so he had, I don't know what that would make. John's mom, yeah. but he had other relatives on Mary's side, but mm-hmm. we don't know if he was his family was gone or what. Yeah, yeah. I know there's not there's not much given in Scripture for Joseph. We have to pull things out. I, we've got a great genealogy with Joseph in it, but that's about it. Anything else coming up? Well, I want to close with some encouragement because I think a lot of this is is similar to us. What Joseph experienced is similar to what many of us have experienced. That God wants us to trust that when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
God is walking with you in that same valley. And it's in that valley, great or small, that your perspective has changed, your empathy is formed, your tenacity is challenged. And when you walk out of that valley, you walk out with greater confidence in the fact that God was with you all along and you were never alone. And we need to know this because when God interrupts our plans and our assumed future outcomes, it usually comes with an invitation to act. And that action most often looks like greater mercy, it looks like greater justice, and it looks like greater love for yourself and for your neighbor. And God asks us to accept it, to believe it, and then to do it, because you're never alone in it. God has called you, and God has named you, and is with you in every aspect of your life. Last week we looked at Mary, and how Mary was like thrown into this thing. She said, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with this, let's do this. And, and, but in that prophecy that the angel spoke over her, he said, I am going to, like this, this baby is going to become king. He's going to become king of the world. He will be on his father David's throne. And for Mary, what would that look like for her? She doesn't know how to get to that end result of getting this, this child, this baby growing in her onto a throne. She was a person of poverty. There was no throne in, around her whatsoever. And I'm sure that anxiety of how to get Jesus where the angel said Jesus would have to go probably felt overwhelming and impossible. The thing is, is that with Jesus, we aren't necessarily given the exact path on how to get to where we're going to end up. We know we're going to end up. God has a future for us. But to get there, we don't always know what step we have to take. Most of the time, it takes trusting in God, that God is with us each step we take. That verse, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, that is literally just enough light for one step at a time. It's full trust in God. That is the story of the Christmas miracle. Amen. Amen. We're going to go into our time of response, and the way that we do this is through singing. We sing songs together in worship. Um, and we take communion. There's a bread in the back that represents Christ's body broken for us. The juice represents his blood shed on the cross. And whenever you'd like to come back, you can. I'll give you a piece of bread and you can dip it in the juice. As we see this as a form of worship. Another form of worship is uh, generosity. We don't pass a plate here at Catalyst, but we have a generosity box right here. If this is your home, we always encourage you to look for ways that you can give here, but beyond this place. Worship looks how you would like it to look. If you want to stand or sit... If you want to kneel, if you want to dance, if you want to lay on the pew and take a nap, I get it. Um, And so this is your time to worship God, to join the voices of the saints around you in unison. Jesus, we thank you, we love you, we praise you, we bless your name. We pray that this time of worship brings glory to you. We thank you for your incredible love for us. May we be shaped and changed and challenged once again by this awesome story. In your name we pray these things. Amen.